Let's talk about autism on a special episode of Ask Science Mike. You've got questions, he's got answers. Even though we may not understand, he'll talk anyway. You've got problems, he won't solve them. But he'll talk and talk and talk until he's blue in the face. Science, faith, and life. Ask Science Mike! Let's start with the obvious, shall we? It's been a little while since I've had an Ask Science Mike, and even then, they've been a little irregular. What's been going on? Well, our first question on this week's show will address part of that, and the other thing is uh, I've been doing a lot and a lot and a lot of events traveling, and uh, I just haven't been able to get the show done uh, in conjunction with what you are about to hear in the next question. Uh, it's been a lot of life changes recently, but it looks like things are settling in a little bit, and for the next few months, I should be able to to ease back into that proper weekly Ask Science Mike routine. Thank you for your concerned emails, <laughs> and in a couple cases, letters. Uh, I'm okay. It just I get really busy being Science Mike, and uh, and you know, unlike the Liturgist podcast, uh, this is kind of a solo operation. So if I don't have time, the show just doesn't get done. Uh, but I'm back. And speaking of events. Um, I'm going to be in Vancouver, Canada this week. Uh, so if you're in Vancouver, I'm doing an event called Radical Inclusivity. And you can learn more about that at AskScienceMike.com, as well as checking out other events that I have going on in the future, like the Skylight Festival in Toronto uh, or the Liturgist Gathering in London. By the way, Austin, tons of fun we had together for the Liturgist Gathering in Austin. If you weren't there, I'm so sorry. You really missed an incredibly amazing experience, and I am sorry for your loss <laughs> because, oh my gosh, uh, I don't know. I think it was one of the most fun um, gatherings that we've ever had. Uh, especially the after party. Man, that was a good one. No offense to the other liturgist gatherings, which were also amazing. Uh, there's just something something about this one. It might have been that this was our first gathering uh, with William and Hillary as season four hosts on the program, and that, that led to a good time. Anyway, so I don't really have any other announcements other than thank you for your patience in this little busy season, and I hope you'll understand more about what's been going on in my life as we get to the next question. Our next question came from email and it reads, Dear Mike, I recently discovered that I may in fact be autistic. I haven't been formally diagnosed yet, but many of the traits fit and it helps me understand myself in a new and more accepting way. I've done a lot of research into the lives of autistic people and what that looks like practically. And what I haven't researched yet was if there are any studies about what is going on neurologically that makes us different and why those differences lie on a spectrum. I know that it is generally accepted that autism is a developmental difference that is present at birth and is dynamic in the way that it can affect day-to-day -day life. Some days or periods have different challenges than others. I'm also aware that no specific gene or cause has been discovered and that there is mixed feelings on if one should even be looked for. From, the, from one person who's insatiably curious about brains to another, 
I'm wondering if you can find any studies or research into any physical differences between an autistic brain and nervous system and a neurotypical one. Bonus question. Is there any evidence that autistic people are more prone to spiritual experiences? Can't thank you enough for the work that you do. Allison. Okay. uh, Really relevant to this question, I've recently had to confront like my own preconceptions about autism because I discovered that a friend of mine and a public figure uh, is on the autism spectrum. And I would have never guessed that this person could possibly be autistic. Um, Why? Well, this person is a public figure, makes his living, you know, standing on stage and talking to people. He's got an easy social manner. Um, and he just didn't seem to fit my mental conception of what a person on the autism spectrum would look like behaviorally. Uh, this was especially shocking because the person is me. I've recently discovered that, uh, I, I have autism spectrum disorder and even saying that, that there is a, I'm learning there's a debate over the right terms to use. Some people prefer to say, I have autism, and some prefer to say I am autistic, and there are differences in the autism community, especially between adults with autism and parents of autistic children, about which language is more correct or appropriate, and I certainly have not made that decision in my own life, so if I alternate pretty willy-nilly between uh, I am autistic and I have autism during the course of this answer, Uh, I don't want anyone in the autism community to think that I'm taking that debate lightly, but rather that I'm genuinely wrestling through what autism spectrum disorder means in my life. And honestly, I was shocked when a friend asked me if I'd ever considered that I was on the autism spectrum. I mean, I was shocked um, because... I look people directly in the eye when I speak to them. And one of the diagnostic criteria about young children and autism is if they look people in the eye. Um, And so I was like, well, that can't be me. Um, And then I also wondered, uh, well, I'm socially aware. You know, how could I have autism when I have such an easy manner with people? And that I can understand what they're feeling moment by moment. And one of the things we understand about people with autism spectrum disorder is a, is a, is a lack of a social understanding, especially in regards to what other people are feeling. Now, many other things associated with autism definitely sound like me. Uh, my wife has said in a non-joking manner for years, perhaps even a full decade, that she thinks I'm on the autism disorder. Uh, But I would always say, well, Jenny, you're not a mental health professional. What do you know? Uh, But more and more people would ask me, including listeners, by the way, listeners of this program and the Liturgist podcast have contacted me in person and via mail and email to thank me for inspiring them and how I deal with my autism and, and telling them that it gives them hope that they can deal with theirs. And I would always write back, gosh, I'm sorry. Uh, I don't have autism. I don't know what you're talking about. But somehow, uh, many of my listeners on the spectrum recognize something 
that I did not. But back to looking people in the eye and being socially aware. Um, When I look people in the eye, I think something over and over. Do you know what that is? Look them in the eye. 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 It's a constant loop that doesn't stop because I'm incredibly uncomfortable with anything more than a few moments of eye contact. Uh, It raises feelings in my body that I don't understand. Um, And it makes me uncomfortable. But I grew up in the South, and every adult and authority figure in my life from early childhood would say to me, look me in the eye when I'm talking to you. And so I learned that that was important and necessary. And so I look people in the eye. And I'm socially aware. If you've been to an event, you know that I know what people are thinking, and I respond to that. And as I sat in an office uh, with a clinical psychiatrist, um, which was full of toys and decorations, because most people who specialize in autism deal mostly with children, adult autism, especially adult autism diagnosis is pretty rare. Uh, she asked me about how I relate to people, and I told her, well, it's very easy. I've memorized the uh, vocal tone inflections, facial expressions, and body postures associated with different emotional states, and I assess them in real time and then move my body and my face into what I've memorized as a sympathetic and empathetic posture to make them feel emotionally safe and make them feel like I'm emotionally responsive and paying attention. And uh, if that you know, fails or doesn't seem to do the trick as I read their body language with primarily my eyes and my intellect, uh, then I will recall memories that help me feel what they're feeling. And she said, and how do you, how do you know what your feelings are? And I said, well, that's easy. I've asked people my whole life where their feelings are in their body. <laughs> because it doesn't come naturally to me, the difference between being nervous or excited or angry or sad. Uh my own, conf- my own feelings are pretty confusing to me, but I've always just thought I was weird. So here I sit with a couple of professional opinions that uh, my childhood development and present circumstances uh, indicate that I have autism spectrum disorder, at least according to the most recent revision in the DSM-5, which is the 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 collective work psychologists use for diagnosing conditions. And in the DSM-5, there's been some changes I'd just like to catch you all up on in case you're not as familiar with autism as I am after reading a few thousand articles this week. <laughs> uh, the autism spectrum includes high-functioning autistic people, which high-functioning is not a clinical label. That is a a, a colloquial or conversational label that basically means autistic people that can live independently, that can, you know, maintain some kind of employment and function to some degree in relationships without assistance. It includes people with Asperger's syndrome, which in the DSM-4 was a separate condition, but which uh, experts believe is too fuzzy to differentiate from uh, 
autism proper. And so in the DSM-5, those conditions have been merged. And it would include people with your kind of classical autism in the popular imagination, people who uh, can't function in society without assistance. And, and that would include people that are nonverbal, people that cannot speak uh, because of autism. And uh, so it's, it's a big tent now, this spectrum. Um, now, if you're curious, like in the DSM-5, what does it mean to have autism? Well, there are three criteria. One is difficulty with communication and interaction with other people. Two, restricted interests and repetitive behaviors. Three, symptoms that hurt the person's ability to function properly in school, work, and other areas of life. And I really was challenged by all three of those in conjunction with mental health professionals. Uh, I didn't believe that those were all present in my life. Uh, restricted interests. I'm called Science Mike for a reason. Uh, when I think about a topic, I can't stop until I know everything about it. I get this state of hyper-focus. And uh, repetitive behaviors. Um, gosh, I have a lot. I do the same thing every day <laughs> from the time I get up to the time I go to bed in what I call uh, loops and mental health professionals call routines. And if I don't get to do those loops, uh, at best I get confused and at worst I get extremely upset in a way that can even frighten my wife. Um, which goes into that person's ability to function properly in school, work, and other areas of life. My exceptional gifts at communication and memorization have always afforded me accommodations that weren't always available to other employees. When I worked in the corporate world, people would be assigned to my care when traveling. <laughs> um, and now, uh, you know, Jenny makes sure if I'm going out socially, somebody's around to watch me if I'm traveling doing a liturgist event or uh, getting picked up to speak in a science mic capacity. Um, I, I can't necessarily get in a car and get where I need to go, even with a GPS. Um, so I actually do have genuine impairment. Uh, but because my gifts, the things about autism, uh, the way it manifests in my ability to learn and communicate, I provide enough economic value that people are willing to make accommodation they won't necessarily make for other people, including people on the autism spectrum, which is something I felt very guilty about. I felt guilty about emailing listeners and saying I don't have autism uh, when it appears that I do. And I have felt very guilty about the way that autism has been a real boon in my life. Uh, difficulty with communication and interaction. I fake it really well and I like being around people, but I never know uh, when I'm allowed to talk uh, sometime last year, I believe it was last year, some bloggers talked about the way I interrupt women on the Liturgist podcast. And I went through and listened to a bunch of episodes on the Liturgist podcast. And I, I do interrupt women, but I also interrupt men because I never know when it's my turn to talk. Uh, so I either wait too long and say nothing or jump in too soon and interrupt people. Conversation's very difficult for me to navigate. I've just got this memorized criteria and this facade that I put forward um, that makes me 
appear to be at ease socially. Uh, but you know, people don't know that uh, in order to do that, that I'm I'm rubbing my toes so much in my shoes that shoes don't last very long for me. That I I wear the toes out of socks very very quickly because to keep from moving and fidgeting, I have to move my toes constantly. People don't know that uh, when sometimes my routines are interrupted um, or I'm socially frustrated. There's been times when I've sat in my car and screamed uncontrollably and pounded my face. And this is something I carry a lot of shame about. So I'm an open and vulnerable person in the media that I produce. But I, I've hidden many of these behaviors from my wife for years. Um, and she was very encouraged to hear that I could be on the spectrum because she said she needed a reason that I slap my face if she interrupts me when I am, quote, studying, unquote. Uh, so the people who know you best, uh, sometimes know more about you. So my point is you might hear those three criteria, difficulty with communication and interaction with other people, restricted interests and repetitive behaviors, symptoms that hurt the person's ability to function properly in school, work and other areas of life. And think, gosh, science, Mike, that's not you or gosh, science, Mike, that's not some other person, you know, and be aware that many people with autism are good at masking and hiding their autism from other people. Those of us who are fortunate enough, I suppose, um, to, to be on the, quote, high-functioning, unquote, side of the spectrum, which, by the way, it's not a simplified spectrum. Uh, the different criteria and symptoms associated with autism all exist on a spectrum. Uh, so, you know, I have, I have great verbal acuity, uh, but terrible, terrible body awareness and, and uh, fine motor control. I can't move my shoulders independently from one another. Uh, I can't move my hips. Basically, to me, from my neck to my hips is like one muscle that I can't really uh, pull out individual control of consciously, which is weird. But I guess that's what I mean. This 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 diagnosis for me was very freeing after my shock because it took a million things in my life that I'm deeply ashamed of. The way that I make noises in my throat whenever I'm alone, the way that I spin in my office chair, uh, the way that, you know, again, if I, if my little routines get interrupted, that I just simply cannot function the way that I line things up on my desk all day long, all of these strange little eccentricities that I'm embarrassed about, well, they all have a name, and that name is autism. So, anyway, if we think about autism, a couple things we want to be aware of, and this is very relevant to you if you think you might have autism. One, it is present in early childhood. Um, there's signs of autism that are present in your life. Asperger's, what was called Asperger's, can present a little differently. Um, but that there's a reason diagnosis is, is easiest among children and it is related to brain features, although we don't know precisely what those are. Recent research has shown that dendrites in the brains of people on the autism spectrum aren't pruned in the same way that other people's are. So dendrites are these little, you can imagine like cilia or hair, uh, in the spaces between neurons and, uh, they create 
strength and neural connections. And normal people are born with lots and lots of dendrites, and they grow a lot in early childhood, and they get pruned and pruned and pruned to create these functional networks in the brain. And in autistic people, uh, those those networks don't get pruned the same way. There's a lot of dendrites, especially in the uh, neocortex and especially in the prefrontal cortex. Um and then there's competing theories about other mechanisms of the brain. There's one called social motivation hypothesis. There's another one called overly intense world hypothesis that, that have different ideas about what features in the brain are doing what. But the fact is we don't have enough research to have a definitive understanding of how the brains of autistic people are different. And, and in fact, what genetic factors contribute. And indeed, whether autism is a single disorder or in fact a set of related neurological conditions that as research improves, might be broken out into separate types of autism or subcategories as we see with ADHD. So on your brain question, I'm equally fascinated and believe me, I've studied a lot. What I don't feel qualified to do is share specific information given how tenuous uh, the confidence is in the actual medical community today. Um, so if you're curious, keep Googling. Just understand that you won't find a definitive answer on what makes a brain a brain with autism. Now, you mentioned that you have not been formally diagnosed. Uh, you know, and I, I think for adults uh, who suspect they may be on that autism spectrum, this is a necessary conversation. And the first thing you would want to ask is, why do you want a diagnosis as an adult? Diagnosis is helpful for children today because there's less stigma associated with autism and additional support resources are available to children with autism in educational communities. Um, and, and so today a, a diagnosis of a child can be very helpful. When I was growing up in the 80s, a diagnosis of autism probably wouldn't have been helpful. I would have been removed from normal classes and that could have had lasting implications into adulthood for me. So for adults, a formal diagnosis of autism would primarily be about qualifying for disability assistance and programs. So if you're able to function in your life and you're able to make an income, uh, you may not want a formal diagnosis. I've heard some reports that a formal diagnosis can be used against you in some uh, court situations, um, and that is colloquial knowledge I've gotten from the autism community and nothing that I have a legal opinion on, especially as a non-lawyer. Um, and to be formally diagnosed with autism, in DSM-5, an interdisciplinary panel is required. This is a big project that takes a long time and costs thousands of dollars. And of course, most practitioners even in these panels, specialize in diagnosing children. So you would have to do additional searching to find uh, you know, professionals and organizations who are willing and able to do adult diagnosis. Because adult diagnosis is tough because so much of autism diagnosis is about early childhood. So for example, parental interviews are involved in a formal autism diagnosis, which is why self-diagnosis is supported in the autism community. Now, I don't mean casual self-diagnosis. I think that's a big problem in our culture. People say things like, oh, I'm so OCD, when they're not actually suffering, excuse me, suffering from is a very ableist way to phrase that. When people 
aren't actually uh, experiencing real obsessive compulsive disorder, which as a disorder has serious life interfering complications. Uh, so that that can minimize what people who have OCD actually experience if you just casually call yourself OCD. And the same thing would be true for autism. You don't want to casually call yourself autistic or a person with autism. Um, so you can start with online screeners. There are many, and some some are 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 quite good and similar to what professionals would use as an initial screening. And that's a good first step, but in no cases is taking an online screener anything like a definitive diagnosis. You want to look at the diagnostic criteria. You want to do a lot of reading. You want to look at records from your childhood. So for example, in my case, it took me hours every day, three, four, five, six, eight hours every day to do my homework after school. When I was in kindergarten, first and second grade, I was literally put in special classes for children who were learning disabled or, or suffer from severe developmental disabilities because of my difficulties socializing with other children, my difficulties reading, my difficulties writing. Okay. So that was something that, you know, when I was talking to a professional that they assessed, they looked at actual actual records from my elementary school um, to look at that. So there's self-diagnosis, there's formal diagnosis, but there's also something kind of in the middle. And in the middle, you can talk to a qualified professional informally. I mean, you go in for an hourly rate, you talk to them, you share your struggles, and they can kind of tell you, well, you know, this could look like autism, this may not be autism, uh, they may be able to move that into a formal diagnosis if that interests you. Or short of a formal diagnosis, they may be able to help you create strategies for mitigating problems in your life. So I'm in the process of working with an occupational therapist to overcome some of my difficulties with texting and email. Because I have a bunch of strategies I've produced over a lifetime to be social, to be communicative, that worked well all the way into me being an executive in the advertising industry, and those coping strategies have collapsed with me being a public figure. Just the amount of people trying to contact me in a given week is is a lot and far beyond what I'm able to effectively handle as, a, as an autistic person. So occupational therapy uh, is just as helpful as like talking therapy or, or, or psychotherapy in creating solutions to life problems. And as you create solutions to life problems in occupational therapy, you may find some of the emotional issues are easier to cope with. So occupational therapy and informal relationships with a mental health professional are something I recommend, but it's also expensive. If you're getting a full-blown autism diagnostic, that can be $3,000, $6,000, It's very expensive. Uh, an informal relationship with a therapist, you're going to pay by the hour, and insurance probably won't cover it. So there is some, um, not some, there's considerable economic burden here, and I think that's why self-diagnosis is so supported in the autism community, simply because of the cost associated with 
a formal diagnosis, especially a formal diagnosis for an adult. So I've been reflecting this week a lot about this new part of my identity. And I think I prefer to say I am autistic. The reason I prefer to say that I am autistic is so many people squirm when you say I am autistic. Um, But there's a reason I think I want to start being publicly involved and publicly identifying as someone with autism. One is how many emails I already get from people with autism who say that relating to me is helpful for, for them. So as a source of solidarity, I think that's important. But I also think I can challenge people's assumptions about autism just by being me. I heard a, a statement that I have thought about a lot and really enjoyed. Once you've met a person with autism, you've met one person with autism. There's a tremendous diversity in people with autism in the world. There's a tremendous diversity in how symptoms are present, uh, what our struggles are, what our gifts are. And too often in the popular imagination, autistic people are viewed as either rain man, these kind of brilliant savants who are otherwise non-functional people, uh, or viewed as kind of absent-minded professors and reducing this community down to those two notions eliminates so many people's experiences and validates them, makes social support unavailable to them. For example, women are much less often diagnosed with autism, and now we believe that's because women are so heavily socialized as children. They're forced to mask their symptoms. Frankly, I think my participation in religious communities as a small child is a big reason why I mask my autism so well. I had to learn to behave in some basically acceptable manner or as a religious Southerner, the consequences were severe. And they were severe anyway. You've heard my story. You know I didn't have any friends growing up. I didn't know how to relate to other children. Their behaviors confused and mystified me even more than my own feelings. But I made it. I was lucky. I had good parents. And here I am today, an autistic person, coming up on my 40th birthday, been married 18 years, two beautiful children, had a successful career in advertising, I'm a published author with another book on the way. People buy tickets to see me on stage often. (laughs) North of 80% of my events sell out. I am, in the eyes of our culture, successful, and I am autistic. But I don't want that to become some expectation for autistic people, that if they're not like me, they're not successful. Because what I truly understand is that if your brain is anything like mine, existing has been a struggle. 
And so if you're listening and you're autistic or you have autism, however you prefer to say that, I want you to know that I consider you a success because you're still here and you bring to the world something unique, something that only you can bring. Whatever your interests are, however you verbalize or do not, the world is fortunate to have you in it. And so, as one autistic person to another, I can't wait to figure out how to teach the rest of our culture how to be more inclusive and more accommodating to people of all types of abilities and disabilities. And for those of you who are neurotypical, for those of you who are not on the autism spectrum, I hope that this little conversation together maybe helps you understand more about me, that's fine, but helps you confront what you might think about autistic people and blind people and people who are unable to walk or people who don't have the use of their arms, people who are missing body parts, that in our time together, all these years that you've been reading the book or listening to the podcast, you haven't held preconceptions about me and you've viewed me as a person. And now you've discovered that I have autism. And I hope what that can encourage you to do as believe me, it is encouraging me to do is to not reduce other people to a condition, but to also not ignore the roles that disability plays in the lives of the people we love and the lives of the people that we meet each day. Thanks for listening, everyone, and I'll talk to you next week.